Thanks, Matt. Isn't that cool to have Maverick leading this morning? It's awesome. Thank you, brother, and the rest of the team. I, that is uh, the heart of our church, right? This church and really every church is not about me. It's not about a teacher. It's not even about a staff. It's about the fact that God has called us as a team to equip the body for the work of ministry, right? So the more leaders that can lead, the more ministry that can take place around the world, right? So that's a beautiful thing when we see other leaders leading and other teachers teaching and people doing the work of ministry, then we're seeing God do what he wants the body of Christ to do in the church. So we're so glad you're with us this morning. If this is uh, one of the first times for you to be with us, we hope that you feel like you're part of our family of families. Um, I've been looking so forward to be, being with you this week, and I'm so glad to see you. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors. And we've been in a series in the book of Mark, and I love God's Word. I, you know, sometimes we come up to a passage, and as a teacher, you look at it and you go, oh, boy. How, how, do we, how do we dig into this, and how do we learn this, and what is this going to show us? And, and I just love the challenge and the grace of God that he gives me and all of our teachers that teach to, to learn something and to dig in a little deeper and hopefully learn something new. And I believe that will be the case for us this morning. Last Sunday, we talked about the fact that the Pharisees were focused on the wrong things. Remember the story? So Jesus is, uh, he, he wants to teach that that. Spiritual things matter more than physical things. Remember that? And the, uh, the Pharisees want to focus on how the disciples are washing their hands. And Jesus is going, yeah, okay, that's not as important as how uh, we live and, and the fruit of our lives from our hearts. And so he tries to teach this, and he, he does it in sort of an abrasive way with the Pharisees. And, of course, this is uh, where we come to today. They're teaching all about uh, how they want to control people through their rules and regulations. Not God's law, not God's rules. Their rules that they've added to God's law. And Jesus tells them, he says, you know, it, it sounds good. <laughs> it's like your lips honor me. The things that you're saying kind of sound good, but your hearts are far from me. And as what, what we talked about last week is may that not be true of us, right? That we say one thing. We sound good. We look good when we show up for a church service, but then the rest of our lives, the fruit of our lives, not be true of the fact that we love Jesus. It was true of my life for sure at one season. I said one thing, I did another. Has that ever been you? Saying something but not living it out, and that, that has been true of me, and I'm so grateful that God is calling all of us to more of an authentic life in Jesus. In fact, it's in our mission statement that he would make us to be authentic disciples who make disciples, that it be real and true of our lives. Jesus said when it's not, then your worship is in vain. It does no good, right? It, it, it means nothing. It's empty. It's shallow. And I pray that that is not the case with us today. So there was all this conflict. The Pharisees are making a big deal of how the, how the disciples had washed their hands or not washed their hands. And Jesus is trying to make the statement that there is no person, right, uh, too defiled, too unclean for me to change, for me to save. There, he even makes a statement about food. There's no food that's unclean. It's the same statement that he had made to uh, Peter in Acts 10. Interesting. So there's no food that's unclean. It's going to lead to Peter understanding that, that, that people are not too unclean for Jesus to save as well. And so we see this, this clash of cultures, the Pharisee culture and the Gentile culture, and they are far removed from one another. A lot of prejudice, a lot of division, a lot of hatred. And even, even in our story today, we're going to see where that comes into play. But Jesus loves all people, right? And so that's what we're going to see and even in our, in our text today. So if it was a big deal for the Pharisees that uh, the disciples hadn't washed their hands, today's story is going to be even a bigger deal. Because Jesus and the disciples are going to go into an area that would be considered unclean. They're going to go into a Gentile area where paganism and idolatry is real and rampant. And the Pharisees would be like, why, are you, why would you even consider going over there? But then we begin to continue to see it's the heart of Jesus that every man, woman, and child know him as their Savior. 
It's the heart of God to reach the world with this grace message of salvation. And so that's what we're going to see Jesus do today. It, it may look like a detour, and I'll get into that, but it's not. I believe that this is planned and on God's heart for this story today. Look with me in God's Word, Mark chapter 7. We're going to read it, uh, verse 24. Okay, if you have that, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. It says, and from there he arose and went away. Remember where he was? He was in Capernaum, in Galilee. From there he, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and, and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Would you pray with me this morning as we get into this text? Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for even texts like these that we're going to look at today that can be confusing on the front end. But as we go deeper, Lord, we see a heart of our Father and our Savior who loves people. We see the heart of our Savior who wants to speak our language and get uh, personal with us, intimate with us. God, we're so grateful. I pray that you would use this word uh, today to grow us closer to you. And by your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would lead us to all truth. Help us to understand what it means for our own lives. God, give us the courage to be obedient to what you would challenge us to. And Lord, with all my heart, I pray that you'd help me to decrease in this time and you increase that you be glorified alone in this time as we look at your word in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so the text starts out in Capernaum. Jesus arises in the morning and takes off. And, and I want us to get a sense of, of how big this trip is. Do we have that map back there, Jason? Uh, I think we have a map. So over here, you can see Capernaum at the top of the, the little lake or Sea of Galilee in the middle of the picture is the Sea of Galilee. At the top of that uh, area of, of Galilee is Capernaum. This is where Jesus and the disciples are at, probably at Peter's home, right? So they leave Capernaum and they go look way all the way up to the top of that white section in that Syrian uh, province, Tyre. That's 35-mile walk from Capernaum. And I mean, while we have the picture up, I'll just kind of explain some of the rest of the journey. 35 miles to Tyre, that's not a small journey, right? Hey, let's all take a walk to Conway today, how about? <laughs> right, that's going to take a minute. And then after we leave Tyre, he's going to go another 20 miles to Sidon, north. And then he's going to leave Sidon and going to come back down south, and then he's going to go east all the way over to the southern eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. The whole trip in total it's going to be a 120-mile walk. This is a big journey, right? And the fact that Jesus just rises one day and goes, okay, guys, let's go. Oh, my goodness, this is quite a journey. Why? Why does he go up there? Why, why this sudden, that looks like a detour? Many scholars believe that as far as Jesus' ministry, this is, this is maybe the only time that he goes outside the borders of Israel, He's literally stepping into another country and another culture. Of course, we, we think about what we've already looked at in the book of Mark. Uh, even last week, the Pharisees uh, had a pretty big run-in with Jesus. <laughs> Remember when Jesus kind of just put that out there, you know, what goes into the body is, is you know, is not the same what comes out. He kind of makes a statement and goes inside. And the you can just see in, the, in your image, in your mind, the Pharisees angry with Jesus. Well, maybe they're so angry they're ready to arrest him. And so maybe he goes ahead and, and makes a, a, a journey north. Or maybe some people think it's the Herodians and Herod. Because you remember when we studied about Herod, Herod thought that maybe what Jesus was doing was John the Baptist resurrected. 
And that's the reason he had powers and could do miracles. And so maybe Herod's thinking, we need to kill Jesus. Whatever the reason, Jesus wakes up with his disciples and heads north 35 miles to Tyre. We don't know the exact reason, but he uses it for his glory. Just like anything in your life that seems like a detour, it's not because Jesus knows where he's taking you. And it's your option that you have to choose, it, to, to, choose to, to use it for mission. How can God receive glory for this? How can I bring glory to his name? How can people come to can know him as a result of this aspect in my life? And so Jesus and the disciples, they head north. And they're going in this area that is not like their culture, right? It's not their, uh, the same things they're used to, the same people. And you get the sense, even when you read the story out of Matthew, they're going to get away. Even in our text, it says Jesus went in the home and he didn't want people to know. He kind of wanted to slip away. Sometimes he needs to just get away. Let's go north. And I heard it's nice up there, right? Let's go take some rest. And yet the text tells us this morning he couldn't be hidden. He, he, right? The glory of God will not be hidden. And people come to him immediately. That area that they go to, Tyre and Sidon, is now modern-day Lebanon. Uh, so this is where Jesus ha- has gone. Who knows if they've gone to get away from the relentless pursuit of, uh, of the healing and the ministry and they need a break. Or if it's because the Pharisees are saying, you're a heretic and you need to die. We don't know. But they make this trip, and I believe Jesus, this is not a surprise to him. I believe it's been part of his plan all along. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning is the mission trip, right? In a couple of years, year and a half, I don't know, Jesus is going to meet with the disciples on a mountain outside of Galilee. And he's going to tell them, before he ascends into heaven, go into all the world and make disciples, right? That world is not a Jewish world, it's a Gentile world. Gentile meaning everything but Jew. So could it be that Jesus is doing what he's been doing with the disciples, which is modeling for them what they need to know in the mission? Right? We, we haven't been outside of our, our culture, our customs in this, in this way that much. So how about we go outside the border? How about we go into a culture that, that seems evil, and is dark and has a lot of idolatry and paganism, and let's take the gospel because this is what you're going to have to do in the Great Commission. And this is what they do. He's continuing his missionary training. The reality is people all over the world, down your street and around the world, they need Jesus, don't they? Every man, woman, and child needs Jesus. And he longs for them to know him. I want to just show this to you. I love this verse, Revelation 5, 9. This is our future if you know Jesus as your Savior. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Can I tell you, Jesus loves the world, and he wants people to know him. And so this is not unlike him to go to a place where he is needed and to train these disciples in what it means to do international mission. Now what's interesting is the nation of Israel was given the task of being missional, right? If you go back to Genesis chapter 12 when God speaks to Abram and he says, I'm going I'm to create something amazing through you and your family be the nation of Israel, and you will be a blessing, and from your people will be an amazing blessing. You will, you will have the opportunity to bless every family around the world, right? What is he speaking of? What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Psalm 67 speaks to that. It says, uh, from, from uh, the Jerusalem or from the Israel perspective, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let the peoples praise you. Whose job is it to take the truth of who God is to the world? Israel. They are to be a blessing to the whole world. And yet they fail. Instead, foreigners become people they hate. You remember the story of Jonah? Right? 
Remember that story? God says to Jonah, go over here to, the, to Nineveh, take the truth of my word, take my love for those people over there. And Jonah's like, I don't want to. I hate those people. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to be good because that's who you are and that's what you do. And so he goes the other way. And, of course, we know the fishing story, right? The big fish comes and gets him, spits him up. And Jonah, against his better desire, finally goes to preach to the Ninevites. And the Lord saves them. Does an amazing work. And he still turns around and he's still angry. This is a picture of all all of the Israelites. They, They hate foreigners. They hate other people. And yet it was their mandate to take the truth of God's word to the world. They were the ones that were supposed to watch and wait for Messiah, right? But did they? No, instead we see them persecuting him, questioning him. Even though he's doing all the the works and miracles that the word says he's going to do, they they, they go against him and ultimately they want to kill him. But look in this prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah uh, chapter 42, verses 6 and 7. Because where Israel fails, Jesus completes. Prophecy says, I am the Lord. I have called you. In righteousness, speaking of Jesus, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison who sit in darkness. This is God's heart for the nations. And where the Israelites fail, Jesus will succeed. Right? And now who are you? The hands and feet of who? Jesus. And so it's our job now to go to the world and take this beautiful message of grace and salvation to the world. That's our mandate. So Jesus is now leading these disciples to a foreign land because he loves all people in every nation. And he wants them to come to salvation. Now there's two other parts of this story. The first one I'm calling the persistent mother. Okay, We read in our text about this woman. And she's She's persistent, if nothing else. She's, uh, she's, you can tell that she wants her way if you read both the Matthew passage of this story and this passage in Mark. The things that we learn about this woman is that she has a daughter. Her little girl is possessed by a demon. The little girl is not with her. And so in desperation, this woman falls at the feet of Jesus, begging her to release her child of this demon. The text tells us that she was a Gentile. She was a, a Syrophoenician. What that means, and, and you saw the map up here where it said Syria, that in, in 65 BC, Rome annexed uh, Syria or uh, Phoenicia to Syria. So that means that she's a local girl, right? She's from that area, the Syrophoenician. There's a whole group of people. And uh, what's interesting is Matthew 15 describes her a little differently. It says that she was a Canaanite from a descendant of the Canaanites. If you read the Old Testament, you might remember that the Canaanites were ancient enemies of Israel. Again, try to remember what Mark is doing here. Mark is trying to explain to a Roman audience some of the history and complexity of Jews and Gentiles together. Mark is trying to help give some backstory here. In other words, what may seem like an enemy to Jesus, he ends up blessing and caring for. By the way, Romans, he'll do the same with you. You get that? He's trying to make this cross connection. She was a Canaanite. She was an enemy of Israel by by descent. And she was a Syrophoenician. And so she's a Gentile. So Mark's giving this extra information, and we see that she is persistent. If we look in the, in the uh, story that Matthew tells about this woman, we get to see it a little bit more. Look with me. Matthew 15, verse 21 says, And Jesus went away from there, Capernaum, and withdrew. Right? I want to get some time away. Every time it says that, typically he's going to rest, going to pray. He withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. 
And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Right? You get the sense she's persistent. She's begging. Why? Because she has a sick daughter. And if that sounds strange... It shouldn't if you know any mothers who've ever had a sick daughter, right? I don't know of many other warriors in the world as tough and tenacious as a mama with a sick baby. You? I've seen it in my own mom, and I see it in my beautiful wife. If their babies are sick, it doesn't matter what needs to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to take care of my child, right? I'm going to clean up whatever I need to clean up. I'll hold that sickness. I'll care for them. I'll stay up all night if I have to. They're warriors, and we see that warrior spirit in this persistent mama, right? I, I love the way that Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, says, there are, no, there are cowards and there are regular people. There are heroes. And then there are parents. Parents are not really on the spectrum from cowardice to courage because if your child is in jeopardy, you simply do what it takes to save her. This is what is happening with this woman. Then we see Jesus, and even in the story of Matthew, we see Jesus speak to her, I'll just put it this way, in an interesting way. First of all, he doesn't answer her at all, right? Because it's sort of a spectacle that a rabbi would be speaking to a Gentile woman or that she would be speaking to him. It's taboo. So at first he doesn't say any, anything. We're not used to that. We're used to a loving Jesus that just cares for people and, and does whatever he needs to do to care for them, heal them, bless them. He doesn't even answer her. On the surface, and that's the thing we have to remember about these stories, on the surface it seems like he's uncaring. On the surface it seems like he's even making kind of a questionable statement to her. I don't believe that's the case. Let's look at the statement he makes, verse 27. He says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So we have to look with a cultural lens in this, all right? Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. That's not very nice, right? It's not very nice, and yet there's a clear cultural understanding that that's kind of what they're called often. Dogs. I don't believe Jesus was speaking down to this woman, but I do believe he was testing her. I do, I do believe this was a test. The, the, the story in Matthew in verse 24, chapter 15 It's almost as if Jesus says something to his disciples within earshot of the woman. Look what he says. He says to them after they've come to him and said, send her away. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what Jesus says, almost as if the woman can hear him saying that. Again, maybe part of a test. Is she going to stay? Is she so persistent that even with me saying, hey, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel, she looks, he looks over his shoulder. Is she still there? Okay, huh. Persistent. She's hanging around. She's tough. She wants healing and deliverance for her child. Then Jesus makes this statement to her, and I want to explain it. He says, it's not right to take food from children and give it to the dogs. Who he's speaking of here are the children of Israel. Right? They have precedence here. It's not right to take what may be given to the children of Israel and give it to a Gentile dog. Now what's interesting, in the Greek language, there's two words for dog. One that is like a vicious, street, uh, ravenous animal that you'd be afraid to come up against, right? Another word in the Greek is used for like what we have in our home, which are sweet puppies, right? And that's the word that Jesus used uses here. He uses the one for the house pet. So this is not a a racist comment. This is not a condescending comment, but it is a cultural statement. 
she does understand what he is saying here. And really what's happening is he's testing her awareness. He's testing her faith. And she says with a bold response, right? Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table, those puppies that you talk about, they eat the children's crumbs. It's kind of code for something, right? What she's saying in this statement is that she understands that Jesus has come for the lost sheep of Israel, that there is a precedence for Israel, right? Let me put it this way. This is the way Paul put it in Romans 1.16. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, praise God, to the Jew first, right? Also to the Greek. There's an order here. God is bringing the salvation to the Jews, to the house of Israel first, and then to the Gentile. It's almost as if Jesus is testing this woman in her awareness of where she stands. And she shows that she is aware. And she's also humble. Right? She knows she's undeserving. She knows she's a Gentile. And yet she's still full of faith. And she believes that even the crumbs, after you've fed the children of Israel, I'll take the crumbs. That'll be enough for me. Right? Do you get that? Friends, here, here's, here's where we break it down. As, as believers, we need to have an awareness that we are sinners who deserve hell. That's who we are. No, not one is righteous. Not me, not you, not anyone. This is what we deserve. It's only by God's grace, not by what you've done or earned. It's only by the grace of Jesus and his cross that we have that salvation. And so in bold faith, we plead to the God of grace, save me even though I'm a wretch, God. And that's the heart, that's the attitude we see. Paul goes on to help Gentiles understand uh, in Ephesians 3, verse 11. I, I want to read this because this is who we were, right? Ephesians 3, 11 says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh on a cross the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Amen? Praise God. So we have to have an awareness of who we are. She's exhibiting that kind of awareness with Jesus. She's saying, I know I'm not part of the children. I'll take the crumbs, God. I'll take what's left over. Even the dogs will eat the crumbs. This humility and yet this faith. I I love the, the saying. You've probably heard it. My buddy Adam says this all the time. He says, evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. You heard that? An evangelist a long time ago said that. Evangelism is is just one beggar. I'm a beggar. In other words, I got nothing. I'm a sinner. I'm broken in need of Jesus. And all evangelism is is going to another beggar who has nothing. None of us have anything. We're all broken and sinful. And going, let me show you where life is. Let me show you where the bread is. And this is kind of the the heart of this woman saying, Lord, I'll take the crumbs. She clearly knows that Jesus is Messiah. He is Savior. And she has faith to prove it, right? She says to him in Matthew 15, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She knows who he is. What's interesting is in Mark 3, something we've already studied and and gone through, there was a time where Jesus was preaching and healing people, and it says a great crowd came to Jesus. And in that crowd was a group of people from the region of Tyre and Sidon. 
They heard his message. They saw his miracles. Maybe she was in that group. Or maybe someone in that group was in her family or witnessed to her. Whatever the case may be, she knows Jesus is the one. The very Pharisees in Israel deny it and persecute him and want to kill him. But she knows he's the one. Son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, Lord, I'll take the crumbs. I'll take what's left over. And she passes Jesus' test. And she honors him in her humility, in her awareness, in her bold faith. And this is what Jesus says to her in verse 29. For this statement, right? You may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This persistent mother who had the faith to bug the disciples, to stay after it, to do whatever it takes, to believe in faith that Jesus was Messiah and he could heal. Either she had seen it or she had heard about it, but she believed it. And Jesus honors her faith, her tenacity, her awareness of her own sinfulness, saves her and heals her daughter. So then Jesus leaves this area entire, goes north to Sidon, like I mentioned, goes then down south around the east side of the Sea of Galilee, again to another Gentile area. This whole text today is outside of Israel, leaving Capernaum, and then the rest of the text is, is outside in a Gentile land, and they end up in this place called the Decapolis. I don't know if you've been watching uh, The Chosen. It's, it's a series that I've really appreciated. And it's so interesting as, as the series has been going along. It's sort of been kind of going along with our, our uh, teaching. I, I appreciate those folks for doing that for us. It's really nice. Uh, they didn't cover this text as, as well as I wish they could have or would have, especially this next story. And let me just put this little side note in there. I love art and I love movies and I love TV shows. And I think that one's done really, really well but it's not the word of God, right? And they would even say, it's not the word of God, it's a story trying to bring you to the truth of the word of God. So don't take what they show and say, well, I remember in the show, that must be what happened. Read the word of God for the word of God, okay? All right, let's look at the next story of the deaf man, verse 31. It says, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And he brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And, he, and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephetha, that is, be opened in Aramaic. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What a strange story, right? Again, on the surface, if you look at it, you go, that doesn't sound like Jesus to the woman. That's a strange thing to say. That's kind of an odd moment here. And yet then we begin to make sense of it when we see it as a test. And then we get to this story of the deaf man who has a speech impediment, and we go, we haven't seen him do this to heal anybody. In fact, he's just shown that he doesn't even have to be near the girl who was possessed for him to give deliverance to that girl. So, Jesus, why go through all the rigmarole of all the things you're doing with this man? That to Westerners is gross. Really, right? I know our students are going, ew, as they read that. It's not our culture. We don't quite understand what is happening. But what we're going to see is that Jesus does this for a reason. And I believe it's a beautiful, beautiful reason. It's one of the most beautiful stories of healing we have in Scripture. In fact, this story in Mark 7, with all the details of how Jesus heals this man is only told here in Mark. It's unique to Mark. You just get the sense that Peter is sharing with, with Mark the story, and he loved what Jesus did. So he tells him the story, and this is the only place 
of these details that you can find it. Jesus has been sort of close to this area before. You remember in the storm and, and Jesus and his disciples pull up on the boat and they get off on the shore and a crazy man comes running after him, the demon-possessed man. Remember that? He comes running at him and he says his name is Legion, which means thousands of demons. It's a scary situation. And of course, Jesus changes this man's life, transforms him. And the townspeople, we know that the demons, Jesus sends them into the pigs. The pigs run off the cliff. The townspeople are frustrated. Their investment has gone down the tubes. And so Jesus here, after he's changed this man, the townspeople say, we're not as afraid of the demon-possessed man. We're more afraid of you. We'd like for you to leave, right? What does Jesus tell that man before he leaves? Because the man wanted to go with him. Let me go with you, master. And Jesus says, now, most, most of the time after he heals somebody, Jesus says, be quiet, right? Interestingly enough, Jesus tells this demon-possessed man from this sort of this area, go and tell of what God has done for you. And so what's interesting is maybe that man's witness, maybe that man's story, maybe that man preaching to his friends and family and to people in the Decapolis have heard his story and God's story of grace. And so when Jesus shows up in this area, people come to him. And all we know is they don't say, will you heal our friend? They say, will you just touch him? Whatever you're going to do is good enough. <laughs> just touch him. Will you touch him? He needs your help. And they bring this deaf man to Jesus. Now what we see Jesus do seems strange. Um, here's, here's some of the aspects of the story before we go this morning. <laughs> the first thing he does, again, so beautiful, is he takes the man aside privately. You see that? It's interesting. Have you ever been with some friends and, and maybe somebody, maybe their zippers down, guys. Your buddy's zippers down. You go, hey, Lawrence, come here for a second. Your zippers down. Okay, cool. We're good. We're good. Right? Hey, Lori, you got some spinach in your teeth. Can you, right? Sometimes you take friends away because you love them and you want to give them dignity and you want to show them care and in private. Hey, you want to stop acting like an idiot in front of these? Okay, thanks, right? And so you bring people aside to help them, right? Not to embarrass them. This is what Jesus is doing with this man. This man who is probably embarrassed every day of his life. This man who's looked down upon as less than every day of his life. He lives in the margins, this man. This is the kind of man that probably would have to beg for his life, for food, for everything he has. This is a man that you don't pay attention to. You walk past. Get away from me, you weirdo. Either you're a sinner or your parents are a sinner, and that's the reason you have this defect in your life. This is the way he would have been treated. And yet the master of the universe his creator says, come with me. I want to give you private time. I want to spend time with you alone. I want to, I want to show you that you have dignity. And then next, Jesus is going to do something so beautiful. See, this man doesn't speak language. He uses his hands for one. He uses signs for language. And so Jesus now begins to speak beautifully, this man's language, right? He takes him aside, his friends trying to see what's happening, and Jesus, looking in his face, sticks his fingers in his ears, and then pulls him out, almost as if by sign language to let this man know, I'm about to heal your ears. I'm about to open your ears so you can hear. And then he does something Westerners we think is pretty weird. He spits, and he takes spit, and he puts it on the man's tongue. Well, the thing we need to know about that culture is in, in that Eastern culture, saliva, to some of them, had healing properties. And so Jesus is, in his mind, taking a healing property and touching his tongue as if to say, I'm going to heal your tongue. I'm going to help you speak. I'm going to open your ears. I'm going to heal your tongue, Right? And then what does he do? Then he steps back 
and he looks into heaven as if to explain to the man, this healing doesn't come from me, it's coming from God who loves you. Jesus is so kind to take him aside and to speak his language. And then he says, Ephetha, which means be opened. And the man begins to hear. The man's tongue is loose. Literally, the Greek phrase here means that his tongue has been unshackled. And not only that, there's an additional miracle. He's never heard a language. He can't speak words, but now he can. The Bible says he speaks plainly. He has a language. He understands phonetics. Amazing miracle, just like that. In fact, it's so miraculous that his friends are astonished beyond measure, as the description Mark gives. Their minds can't conceive it. What? What? What just happened here? And the irony of this beautiful miracle here, even though Jesus told the the demoniac, go and tell, he now tells the man who has been silent all his life, who can now speak, be quiet. See the irony? Be be quiet. He charges him, don't go tell people. Maybe he doesn't want all that publicity. Again, another possible reason why he's told people before. Because he's not there just to heal people. He's there to heal hearts. And that will only happen on a cross. They disobey Jesus. And the more he charges them to stop speaking of it, the more he tells them, stop they speak louder, and you probably would too. I can, I can sing, I can speak, right? And his friends are astonished, and they voice something they probably didn't realize was very much like the answer to prophecy. The last verse of our text says, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I love the fact that Mark includes this portion, probably by Peter's direction, because it lines up with a messianic prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 35, verse 5. Isaiah says, again, some 700 years before Jesus, he says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer on the tongue of the mute. Sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. See, these disciples have been on a training mission. This is what you're going to do. This is who you have to be. This is where you're going to have to go into the dark places, places you're afraid to go, places you may look at people as your enemies, but guess what? They're not your enemy. They need Jesus. They look different than you. They speak differently than you, and they need Jesus. Will you go? Because what he does in our stories, he turns this place in Lebanon, this place in Syrophoenicia, turns it into wells of living water, Right? of life and salvation and healing. And he opens the ears of the deaf man and gives him voice so he can sing for joy. And clearly Jesus is the Messiah that Isaiah is speaking of. He's proven it over and over and over and over again. He's modeled this mission for his disciples. He saved people that the Pharisees would deem as enemies. He's freed this little girl from a demon without even being there. He's healed the deaf man and he's given him speech. But the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning and every time we come before God's word is, what does this mean to me? We don't just read God's word because it's a good exercise. We read it because we need it to change us. We need it to give us life. And so as we read it, we say, Lord, this is beautiful. How does this change me? What does this mean for me? How do I live out of this place? What does that mean for us this morning in this text? Here's a few things before we go. Number one, is it easy for you to sometimes look at foreign people that don't look like you or sound like you or speak like you? Is it easy for you to look down upon them or even see them as enemies? Our country's been at war with different nationalities. 
And sometimes we can look at certain people, groups, and turn our back and go, oh, they just want to kill us. And it may be true. And they still need Jesus. I've had the unbelievable privilege of of going around the world to some different places. Not like Brother Jerry, but I've been to a few places. And one of the most beautiful things I've experienced is different nationalities of people who've come to know Jesus, how precious they are, how sweet their hearts are, the brotherhood that we share together and we have nothing in common except Jesus. And it reminds me of that Revelation passage where one day we'll sing together every tribe, nation, and tongue. God loves the world and so he sent his only son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And now you are his hands and feet and I am his hands and feet. What do we do with that information? We must go. And I think you might be surprised at how receptive they are to the gospel. You might be surprised at how thirsty they are for the water that you bring of the gospel. There's no telling, friends. There's no telling how hungry people are until we know them and we serve them and we love them. Until we go. Next Sunday, we are going to start a season for South City. I'm excited to talk more about it, but we're going to have two or three different things uh, over the next couple of months where we get to serve some people in ministry and mission. And our first opportunity happens next Sunday where we get a chance to give financially for a mission around the world. And I pray that you would really pray about that. What is it that God would have your family do? How would you sacrifice to, to advance the mission of Jesus around the world? Second thing I think we have to learn from this text this morning is that as believers, we have to have an awareness of who we are. That we don't deserve God's grace. That it's by his mercy and love that we are offered it that we know it in salvation, just as the woman had that awareness. Do we have that awareness? Another thing is that I look at the story of the deaf man. And, and sort of like the family or the friends of the man who was let down through the roof, remember the crippled man? Some of that story is not just about the crippled man. Some of that story is about his friends. What good friends. That they did whatever it took to get that man to Jesus. And in the same way, this group of people did whatever it took to get this man who had lived in the margins to Jesus. We just want you, it says, to touch him. We don't even put conditions. We're not even saying heal him, Lord. Just We know that you'll do the best for him, whatever that is. Just touch him. Who are the people in your life that you need to get to Jesus? And it may, or not mean, it may or may not mean that they come to a service. It means that you can be Jesus to them. That you can bring light and life and hope to them. But what are you willing to do? Are you willing to go to that place? Are you willing to take them the truth of the gospel? Are you that kind of people? Because if you've experienced the same love and gentleness, the same dignity has been given to you as he gave to the man who was deaf, you want your friends and family, you want all people to know this Jesus. And then lastly, I think there's an interesting piece of this prophecy. These friends whose minds were blown, they, they didn't understand that they were speaking something of the prophetic. In the same way, friends, do you know that you're living in the middle of the prophetic? that the gospel of Jesus doesn't end with him getting out of the grave. Did you know that? That the gospel includes him coming again and him being the judge for the living and the dead. He is our judge. And he will judge you according to your works or he will reward you according to your faith in Jesus. That's part of the gospel. So just like they didn't understand they were even speaking the prophetic we are living, friends, in an unfinished story, and Jesus is coming again, and almost every day I see some part of our culture, our world, and I go, we're getting close, right? We're getting close. Am I ready? I don't want to make the mistake of the Pharisees and not be ready. I want to be watching 
I want to recognize, I want to know, and I want to do whatever it takes to go to the ends of the earth to make him known. Because that's his assignment. That's his mission. And you're his hands and feet. And I pray that we would be serious about that mission. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I, I thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for, sometimes we, we see stories like this and it's, there's complexity there. And I pray that these stories, they, they don't cause us just to skip over and, and, and not understand, but to dig deeper. Because when we dig deeper, we can see more clearly who you are and how you love. We can see the character of who you are and the truth of your word. God, it could be that some people are here this morning. It seems like something's happened in their life. It seems like a detour. Doesn't make sense. Why are we going over here, God? Why do I have that diagnosis? Why has this thing happened? What's going on? Lord, help us to see it as an opportunity for mission, an opportunity to see you work and love people wherever you take us. And God, let us be reminded of how much you love us. Sometimes you test us. Sometimes you speak directly to us in ways that we understand that is so unique and so intimate, and we thank you, God. That even this morning, you may be speaking to somebody's heart in such a unique and intimate way that we can't understand, except for the fact that your Holy Spirit is leading your truth to our heart. Because I know it's not me. The only thing good in me is you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would help us to hear your story from your word and to glean what you'd have us to glean. God, I pray that we would leave here today and we would be excited about an opportunity to gather with our smaller family in our city groups to dig through this story again and ask some questions and, and pray more about what it means for us to follow you. And I pray that we would do that, God. And I pray that you'd be honored in our lives as we take this mission to the world to be faithful to you, to be obedient to what you've called us to, God. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us as a Gentile people far off. We'll take the crumbs, God, but that you brought us in and you broke down this dividing wall of hostility and you made us into one, a new man under a new covenant of Jesus' blood, our only hope in salvation. Father, thank you for time with our family today. Thank you for time to worship you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Help us to know you and love you and make you known. And give us grace in every day as we do it. In Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen.